What is what is the difference between unsane and unwound? I think the distortion on the bass. Yeah, because <laughs> they're then... both bass heavy. <laughs> r- yeah, <laughs> rowdy '90s stuff, right? One's pissed off and uh, drunk and doesn't know why, and one's pissed off and drunk and has kind of like a good idea why. I think <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a self awareness there. In their names. I don't know who has it, but I was gonna say which does. one of those two has self awareness. <laughs> you know, that's for that's in the uh, the eye of the beer holder there. <laughs> oh, wow! Yeah, you like that? Well done. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and my head is my only house unless it rains. Mm. I'm co-host Jeremy Ruggles, and I'm a low-down, dirty trader, guys. Oh. I'm feeling real guilty today. About what? So for years now, I keep Oreos supplied for like, for Peter and I, and then back when Sean was here, like, you know, we're recording the episode, got some Oreos to snack on before and after. Today I went and the L fudge cookies were on sale and I bought those instead and they're not good. And I just feel like a traitor. Yeah, but with gas prices like these, you had no other option, right? Yeah, inflation is is hitting us hard here. Things are getting dire. <laughs> this is the brutal truth. I can't buy that for a dollar twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am co-host Peter Cook, and because Sean Hartman stole my title, I got too much time to be without love. Wow. <laughs> Wait, did I really steal it? You did. That is exactly what I was going to say. Holy shit. <laughs> and that's a pretty <laughs> obscure reference to what we're talking about today. It is it's a highly obscure reference. I had no thought that someone else was going to be taking that one. I was like it's not even a joke. No one's even going to understand what the reference is, but my dude Peter over here. I quickly decided that I would go with a different song from Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band's Clear Spot album that our featured artist today covered. Beautiful. Wow. Way to ruin the surprise about the <laughs> Captain Beefheart affiliation. That was supposed to be the end of the episode, dude. That was a clincher. <laughs> yeah. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> oh, but by the time we get there, people won't remember this beginning. True. We got a lot of ground to cover here. We also have a special guest. It's me, Ryan Werner. I am a gas station ice cream model and an expert on the self-titled Nona Hendrix record. Nice. And by that, I mean, I let Sean do all the research and definitely message him and said, do I have to know anything or can I just have a couple one-liners and like post on that? <laughs> I'll be providing the bio and Ryan will just be like, yeah, also this record fucks. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I think it's important to tell our listeners that your title there was in fact true, right, Ryan? Yeah, I took it upon me to, well, I had a new record come out uh, on Halloween, and to promote it, I made a bunch of 
like posters for like local gas stations that they did not approve because I'm like, I need corporate sponsorship, but also I don't really want to email anybody. So I just photoshopped myself like holding two ice cream cones and I'm like, get the Ryan Werner snackle. It's a snack. It's a meal. Get it now. Also, here's his new record and just hung them up in gas stations without anybody seeing me. And, and so far I've made no extra sales, but someone <laughs> did recognize me the other day from it and that felt good. So it's a brilliant PR campaign. I will say. Didn't you also do other corporate businesses like Burger King and Walmart? I did a Burger King. It was uh, Fresh Tunes. This one's a Whopper. (laughs) (laughs) I will say you did such an amazing job of the design, like incorporating the corporate logos and everything and even like kind of fitting their style. Like each poster completely fits in in the businesses you put them in. It's absolutely genius. Definitely went into the businesses and took pictures of the like posters they had hanging up and then just went home. I'm like, how can I reverse engineer this? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> it's been a slow winter is what I'm trying to say here. Folks. <laughs> well, there are many worse things you could do with your time. And at the very least, we were thoroughly entertained. I'm I'm glad the uh, I'd buy that pod folks were loving it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're loving having you back. I am happy to be back. It's been a minute uh, since December. I was hearing since we talked about old December uh, of 2020. Old Blue is. Eyes in Watertown. Frank Sinatra Watertown. Yeah, and the Doobie Brothers. Previous to that, third time guest. Welcome back. Am I the first three Pete here? That no. can't be true. Wes no. Wheat has been on three times, and Taylor Rowley has been on six times. Dang. And uh, and Zane Johnny was on three times as well, but that was all in one. Sitting. Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> Barely counts. <laughs> Barely counts. <laughs> so what record have you picked out for us to talk about? I have picked out the self-titled Nona Hendrix record, which is very affordable. You may know Nona from the group LaBelle. Patty LaBelle was also a big breakout from there, but uh, Nona went on to have a career doing some new wave stuff. She hooked up with a friend of I'd Buy That Pod, Bill Laswell, Bill who's Laswell. appeared. Oh, Billy boy. I had a buddy that was trying to get every album he ever appeared on at one point. That's thousands. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. I'm like, how many you got? He's like, I got a few hundred. I'm working on it. Like, <laughs> Once he's done with that, is he going to move on to John Zorn's catalog? That's a bad idea. <laughs> but yeah, I picked out this. Uh, this this record is such a uh, dollar bin record that if you go to All Music, the photo they have for it there has in the corner like a little green sticker and a little orange sticker on it, <laughs> like one over the other. It's like okay, I can't read those, but I know what that means. <laughs> exactly. Well, before we get into too much more information, let's hear the first track from this album, "Winning Side A," track one. Yeah.
I'd just like to say that after hearing that song for the first time when checking out this album, that the entire internet failed in 2011 to make that a meme when the whole Charlie Sheen winning thing was trending. That song should have picked up at that time. Agreed. Known as PR person needs to pull it together, I think. Ten years ago, they need to pull it together. (laughs) (laughs) Missed opportunity. I think if it happened nowadays, it would become like a TikTok thing. Like, it might get wrapped up in one of those. True. It was... Yeah. It was just... uh, wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right timing. Yeah. Kind of like this album. (laughs) Good point. When is the right time for this album, though? I mean, I feel like... true. I was talking to Sean before this, and it's like... It's like one of those can't miss, can't hit <laughs> records. Like, who do you who do you sell this to? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it was ahead of its time, but also just like a completely unique piece. And this was nineteen seventy seven. Nineteen seventy seven. Yes, yeah. so, I mean, like, you know, this is when punk is getting big, and disco is kind of in its heyday at this point still. And then Nona's dropping her self-titled album after a lot of success as a musician and just doing this like really interesting art rock hard rock with some reggae fusion and soul in there and it's it's incredible no one was ready for it no one was ready for it no i mean i think too and i mean this is something you guys have touched on in previous episodes like uh you know the supremes and diner ross and stuff like that i think she took a lot of creative control with like the songs on this record, but probably as a black woman in the music industry, didn't have a whole lot of control over her career outside of that. And I could just see someone at a record label being like, well, I don't know. I don't know who's going to buy this and not even, not even trying when really in, in a lot of ways, I feel like it's kind of, like I said, can't miss, can't hit, but and as a can't miss, I feel like, how can you not sell this record to everybody? Because the songs are just so goddamn good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, it, it rocks hard enough for the rockers. It's got enough soul for people that like soul music. Yeah, it's even got a good ballad on it. Yeah, the ballad's great on there. Mm-hmm. Plus, she's got like tons of punk and experimental music cred to her name as well. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Nona, she is seems a- like a real head. Not that like oh, yeah. that is important. Not to like, you know, I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like gatekeep because you know you can be very good at music with having even only a passing interest in that style you know whatever you bring to it your personal thing but i mean it's really cool that she seems to be really fucking into a lot of the stuff that she's pulling from you know she seems like she has a real appreciation and deep knowledge of those things Mm -hmm. there seems to be a pretty wide spectrum with artists from her generation of how they feel about modern music and modern trends you know so many of them are just like, oh, music today sucks. Like, it was better when I was a kid. But Nona, her entire career has just been adapting and interacting with new people and pushing forward and pushing boundaries. And it seems like has remained a more relevant artist than most other people that we've talked about on this show. She stayed creatively relevant, I think. You know, she's not doing vegas and casino gigs like patty labelle was getting on probably but you know right. she's she's probably doing things that are more satisfying artistically sure so. yeah not nearly as as famous as uh some other musicians but artistically and creatively has been putting in work and holding true for a very long time i am kind of surprised a song like uh 
I know we're not going to play it, but the next track on there, Everybody Wants to Be Somebody, it, it really sounds like something that could have been on like Songs in the Key Life from the year beforehand. Oh, definitely. And I'm surprised, I'm surprised that, I mean, obviously Stevie Wonder is America's greatest living artist and everything. So the bar, the bar is high and any sort of comparison to him, you're going to fall short. But I'm, I'm surprised that Songs in the Key Life didn't kind of open more doors for like not white rock and roll artist not that that was a rock record but you know he he took so many elements from so many things and made such a big sprawling ambitious album that i i figured you could kind of hop on that and get these records out to more people yeah i mean that's another thing where the doors open to a few people and those people are usually men and yeah. then oftentimes the female presenting artists still get left behind when it comes to trying to break out of the norm I mean, there, there's like some comparisons of other black artists that were working more in a rock field. You know, we've talked about the Chambers Brothers and Stevie Wonder at times was definitely doing that. And like Prince was breaking out, you know, a little bit more after this. Isley's had some rock shit going. Isley's, yeah. But it's it's a short list. Perhaps known as Cousin Jimmy. Oh, that guy. Exactly. Distant Cousin. Exactly. <laughs> Distant Cousin. <laughs> Yeah, when I was doing the research, I just assumed that Hendrix spelled with a Y was a stage name. And I was like, oh, no, she's related to Jimi Hendrix distantly. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I guess I want to know, like, how uh, had you heard this record before uh, I brought it to the table here? I have uh, not. If you did, where you found it? I, well, let me tell my little story here, because when there's records that I haven't heard at all, um, I usually give it a few listens during the week and try and get like one really focused listen at least somewhere in there. And this week went by and I kept like putting it on and like stuff just kept happening when I'd like be trying to listen to it. So just a couple hours ago, I went out and walked in the graveyard right next to my house and it was a very strange juxtaposition with this album. <laughs> it, uh, I mean, at least the first half of the album was like very optimistic. I felt like, and, um, kind of powerfully energetic. And I'm like walking through our like snow melt, dreary Michigan in a graveyard. And it was a very strange listening experience, but <laughs> Yeah, as you've mentioned, I was blown away by the variety of sounds, which to me, you know, in combination with the other factors you mentioned, makes it like an amazing record and also a really hard to market record, I would imagine. You could say it's hard rock, but really only like three of the songs maybe are like hard rock, really. And you got some ballads and some reggae, and it's uh, it covers a lot of ground. I feel like that was kind of a template for a lot of like '70s classic rock records, though. You know, you had yeah, I you had to have your few rockers, your few ballads, and then you know, do whatever you want to fill out the album, and let's get it out. I feel like that's not super uncommon. I, um, I try not to listen to classic rock records, so yeah, th not th this, you were the one. <laughs> 
you were the one that I was like, is Jeremy going to like this? I was pretty sure Sean would, pretty sure Peter would. But I'm like, I wonder if Jeremy's going to think this is kind of dumb. <laughs> like, there were like some lyrics. The first three seconds of uh, Too to Sweet sounds just like Duchess by Scott Walker. I'm like, he'll like that part, you know? <laughs> no, I'd say most of it, uh, like musically and her voice is incredible. Like comparing mm-hmm. her voice to other like hard rock acts, it's like not even close her voice is so much bigger and more powerful than a lot of that music in my mind i did find some of the lyrics kind of cringy there was like one part where she was like i've never been this aggressive because your looks are so impressive and i was like (laughs) and there are a few other yeah lyrically it, it didn't hold a lot for me but musically it was very strong i would say yeah i mean the lyrics aren't the lyrics aren't they're not the point of a record like this they're not yeah they're also not the point you know i mean she's not you know there's no uh request to squeeze the lemon till the juice runs down the leg or anything like that you know so she's still my she's still miles ahead of like the worst rock lyrics <laughs> yeah you know yeah none of it was very, like very true disgusting kind of stuff so it, it had a <laughs> big leg up on a lot of hard rock in my eyes then a big leg with no lemon juice going down it. Yeah. None at all. <laughs> I, I do like those rocking tracks a lot, though. Take a Chance is great. Problem sounds like Led Zeppelin to me a lot. Yeah, that guitar riff sounds a lot like a Led Zeppelin song in my mind, I remember. Sure. That's what was interesting to me when I first started diving into this record after Ryan picked it out, was that you know the most rocking points she somehow makes you know these rock songs more soulful and interesting than so many of her contemporary rock artists and yet can pull off the ballads way more naturally than any rock artist was doing at the time and successfully integrates reggae into the album which certainly no other rock artist was doing at this point (laughs) it's got it all i love it yeah it's a really yeah it's a really well like i want to say well-rounded record but really she just i feel like she was chasing all of her interests and made them all happen. Like I said, she, she seems like a real head. It seems like she really wanted to like, I want to do some rock songs. I want to do some ballads. I want to get some reggae in there. I want to do some soul. Like, you know, she had, she cast a wide net and really kind of pulled a lot of it off, which is probably why she didn't do another solo record for like six years after this, (laughs) because yeah, it seemed like it had going back to Scott Walker, like after he did Scott Walker four, it's like, okay, I'm putting it all out there. And everyone's like, we actually hate this. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover the fucking Bonanza theme song and then I not put a record out for another <laughs> eight years after this. Would you like to give them another example? Of the music? Yeah, yeah. show them Sean. some range. Uh, next track up is Take a Chance, side A, track five. <laughs> Take a chance with me 
so not all of us like the lyrics on that song, but we can all agree that those guitar riffs are incredible. They were impressive. So good. Yeah, I love that goofy little line, the like, do-do-do-do-do-do. It's like hypnotic and like kind of flashy, but not really. And just, it's nice. It's got that early art rock sound to it. It just works so well. And the one thing I wanted to point out about the lyrics real quick too, is that Nona was a, you know, openly out bisexual woman at this point. So the whole song about uh, taking a chance and dancing with her definitely has some meaning related to that there. Taking a chance. Taking a chance. You're old enough to dance. Just like David Lee Ross. Let the music take control. So you guys want to hear some biographical information on the legendary Nona Hendrix? Yes. Cool. So not only was the music on this record just so awesome, and I was very hyped on it, but when I started doing research, I was just very, even more hyped on Nona Hendrix. She is an absolute icon, and I'm excited to share this information with everyone. We are starting in Trenton, New Jersey. October 9th, 1944, Nona Hendrix was born. Anybody remember what uh, Trenton, New Jersey's motto is? Oh, Trenton makes, America takes. The world takes. The world takes. Trenton makes and the world takes. I saw that on a bridge as Sean and I were driving to the pinball museum or whatever it was. That's right. She has the same birthday as John Lennon. That's incredible that you know that, Peter. Not the same year. He was 1940. (laughs) Let me go on about this. Oh yeah. <laughs> Tell us more. So as we said... Wait, I'm writing this down. John Lennon? Yeah. Sean, <laughs> Sean Lennon, his son was born that day too, 1975. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> Let's go. Glenn Danzig too. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Anyway, so as we mentioned, Nona is a distant cousin of Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. And she had an early start in her music career. As a teenager, she was singing with some like soul-oriented girl groups. And in 1961, she formed the group The Bluebells along with Sarah Dash, Patricia Holt, who later changed her name to Patti LaBelle, and Cindy Birdsong. So that started in 1961. They had a big hit in 1962 with a song called I Sold My Heart to the Junk Man, which is a classic soul song if you haven't heard it. Shortly after that, they changed their name to Patti LaBelle and The Bluebells. And continued making music through the 60s and then in about 1967 there was a a pretty swift change in musical interest and a lot of the big girl groups of the early and mid 60s suddenly found that no one wanted to hear that sound anymore so they're dealing with a, a sudden shift in popularity and success and then around the same time cindy birdsong secretly quits the band and joins the supremes yeah (laughs) i was thinking i knew that name (laughs) yeah she was actually on the floyd joy album that we covered earlier Mm -hmm. in the podcast so the band is struggling on the last three years of the 60s and then in 1970 nona falls in love with an english talent manager named vicky wickham and Vicky begins managing the group and convinces them to change their name to LaBelle and relocate to England where they have a, they still have a cult following. In 1971, they released their self-titled album LaBelle and they also 
are featured and sing on all the tracks on Laura Nero's Gonna Take a Miracle. An artist that we've mentioned so many times and always talk about wanting to do and it'll happen one day. Yeah, <laughs> that, that should happen soon so we can start saying who we've previously covered. Yeah, exactly. It's about time. <laughs> Nona and Vicky have remained a couple ever since 1970. As a side note. Nice. Long run. Yeah, absolutely. So the new group, the newly renamed LaBelle, reinvented themselves in multiple ways at this point. The members began sharing lead vocals more often and songwriting duties. In fact, Nona around this time became the main songwriter in the group, despite Patty still generally being the lead singer. Also in their concerts and their album covers, they switched from being you know, a uniform, they all have the same clothes and same haircut and act the same way. Instead of that, they began presenting as individuals with their own unique sense of style and personality. Like Kiss. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and unfortunately, not the last time Kiss will be mentioned on this yes. episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> their subsequent albums also began to take on a more challenging subject matter than the simple kind of sugary girl group songs they were used to before that point. And this transition of the group had a profoundly important impact on the music business and music history in general at that point. It really opened the door for a lot of future groups, uh, such as like Destiny's Child, TLC, and Vogue. LaBelle was basically the first all-female group that presented themselves as a band like any other male group kind of thing. Um, and it was... Yeah, it was, it was very empowering for a lot of people, and it was a big deal. And they also had a huge following in the gay community. So over the next few years, LaBelle also began dressing in very elaborate, futuristic, space-themed costumes for their live shows. If you've never seen any of that, look it up, any other live performances or concert photos. It's, it's pretty amazing. Their outfits were designed by a man named Larry Legaspi who was an influential fashion designer and created signature designs that were also worn by Grace Jones, Parliament Funkadelic, and Kiss. Yeah, baby. <laughs> LaBelle was one of the first groups that Larry Legaspi worked with, and he used the kind of space themes costume because at that point he was correctly predicting the upcoming popularity of space disco fashion trends, which definitely got big in the late 70s especially around the time that star wars came out yeah which was the same year as this record yep <laughs> and then in 1974 labelle found massive success with their album nightbirds which featured the mega hit lady marmalade uh yes yes with christina aguilera <laughs> <laughs> and pink pink and lil kim was it yeah yep you got it and so in 1976, they released their final album called Chameleon. And shortly after that, the group broke up, citing creative differences and the desire to start individual solo careers, which brings us right up to this record known as self-titled debut dropped in 1977. The album was well received by critics, but obviously not commercially successful, most likely due to, as we said, Epic just not knowing or caring how to promote this. It was never... It's never been reissued in the States. It just had 
one pressing here in a few other countries and was quickly forgotten about until now (laughs) till this very moment (laughs) exactly so for the next few years nona found a lot of work as a session musician as we said there was about six years between her first and second record so during that time she also recorded a few singles for the Arista label that all failed to chart and did not result in a full album. However, she continued to explore these like blends and fusions of rock, funk, and pop and other genres. In addition to that, in her studio work, she sang with artists like Cameo, Dusty Springfield. Uh, her manager, Vicki Wickham, was also Dusty's manager. She sang with David Johansson from the New York Dolls and one of his solo records. And then most famously, she was basically a full-time member of the Talking Heads for a few years. She's on pretty much every track on Remain in Light. She's all over the name of this band is Talking Heads. And she's on, I think, one song on Speaking in Tongues. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And then also... She had a famous collaboration with an I'd Buy That for a Dollar alum, Material. Laswell. Exactly. (laughs) She sang on two songs from the album One Down that we featured, and then she's also singing lead on Material's big hit, Bustin' Out. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't realize until today that that was Material and Nona Hendrix. Pretty amazing. Very interesting group and like the perfect pairing for Nona Hendrix because they had perfect funk and dance music sensibilities, but also were, they were heads, you know, highly informed on experimental music and not afraid to take chances. I'm just thinking how much I would have liked those uh, early Golden Palomino records if it was Nona on there instead. Nothing at Sid, but <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, that's uh, Anton Fear. That's his group, right? Laswell was in there too, wasn't he? He was in there, yeah. yeah. Anton yeah. Fear was a drummer out of the New York scene. He was in the Feelies and the Lounge Lizards. And then those are that's another group that's like a bunch of collaborations. Like they just get feature a bunch of artists on them. I always confused in my head for many years uh, Anton Fear and Anton Fig, who was the drummer for The Late Show with David Letterman and played on like Peter Chris solo records and stuff. I'm like, wow, this guy is like all over the fucking place. <laughs> and also, we got another Kiss reference in for Sean. Yes, got it in there. <laughs> God damn it, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> you kind of did by asking me on. <laughs> yeah, you I've got did. just a little bit. I've got a little bit more bio here. Uh, also. In the early 80s, Nona fronted her own art rock group called Zero Cool, which as far as I know does not have any recorded material. However, that band featured former members of Richard Hell and the Voidoids. Mm. Wow. Another, yeah, a name you would also would not expect to come up in here, but just speaks to the amazingness of Nona Hendrix, how well-rounded of an artist she has always been. I wonder if that band name was... Uh, the reference for the character in the movie Hackers, whose handle was zero cool, if I remember. You know what? It's an, it's entirely possible. Let's just go ahead hey, and make it canon. It could also be from the Michael. Michael Crichton had a novel called Zero Cool in the uh, late 60s. Oh. Mm, that seems unrelated. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't. <laughs> Nona eventually came back in 1983 with her second solo album, this time co-produced by Bill Laswell and Material. It had a more 
commercially successful synth funk sound that was fitting with 1983 and the album had a lot more commercial success and it features one of Nona's signature hits transformation and then throughout the 80s Nona released four more albums and has remained very active since Uh, her 1989 album skin diver was actually an experimental ambient pop record made with peter bauman from tangerine dream that album's awesome it is really good yeah (laughs) She's also collaborated with artists like Prince, Peter Gabriel, Lori Anderson, Yoko Ono, Bounty Killer, Africa Bombata, Soul Clap, and Gary Lucas. Yes, mm. Gary Lucas. You want to tell people who Gary Lucas is, Peter? He is a guitarist. Among the things he's known for, he helped kickstart the career of Jeff Buckley, recognized his talent, and uh, helped him take off. But also, he's known for his association with Captain Beefheart and was a member of the Magic Band towards the end of their run. Mm-hmm. And Nona is apparently a Captain Beefheart fan because she recorded an entire album of Captain Beefheart covers with Gary Lucas in 2017, I believe. And it's really good. There's also some good live footage of her playing and just tearing it up doing these like doing some of the you know captain beefheart ballads and giving it kind of a soulful edge but also doing some of like the really weird shit too and feeling just at home with it it's it's incredible that video you sent me was pretty nuts yeah i I love it so much you know like I, i usually try to at least listen to a few clips of some of the more recent work from these classic artists and oftentimes it's like okay there's there's some good moments here i like what they're doing and i was just scanning through nona's discography i was like what the fuck she did a captain beefheart tribute album <laughs> like i did not see that one coming but i'm <laughs> i'm here for it <laughs> yeah recently too that was just like wow <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah she's like done some shows doing that stuff and yeah big big beefheart fan apparently uh last note nona has produced music for theater and film as well she has been a longtime activist raising funds and awareness of HIV AIDS since the outbreak of the epidemic. She has done extensive work in education and is an ambassador for artistry and music at Berkeley. Um, she's dabbled in acting and just remained incredibly busy and just doing good work her entire career. She's still out there, still performing, still tearing it up. Recent live footage, she's, she's more active on stage than any of us would be, honestly. It's impressive. I had seen her name pop and pop up in so many random places that I'm not necessarily surprised at how prolific and diverse her career has been, but uh, just kind of hearing it all together is very impressive. It really is. And not too aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of aggressive, though, do we want to take a minute to talk about this album cover before we play another track? Dude, she looks so fucking cool. Oh, my God. (laughs) Just fucking playing with a straight up Bowie knife on the cover, looking like she's ready to like take anybody on. It's amazing. Yeah, she looks she looks awesome. And just a shirt that just says her name on it. <laughs> with a necklace that's just like an open pocket knife. Like Yeah. So fucking bad. Like you're already holding a knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She she looks really fucking cool. <laughs> Again, one of those things like, how do you not sell that? But then it's like to about a thousand people worldwide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's the next track we're gonna hear? Were we gonna play the the ballad? Uh, I think I think next up is actually that uh, Zeppelin. 
Oh, track, problem, yeah. Problem. Side two, track A. Fucker goes. Probably the hardest track on the record. This is a good one. Yeah, no, I um, just want to thank you guys for having me on. This record is uh, this record's so cool, and I don't even really remember how I how I found it. I think what happened was like a few years ago, I like took a look at the music I'm mostly interested in, like prog and power pop and classic rock and ambient music and shit, and just kind of like realized if my record collection gets any wider, it's going to order steak well done and post in all caps about World War II on Facebook. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, I really need to, like, not just listen to these white guys in stupid outfits do stuff, you know? And, yeah, I found this, like, like Googled up just this kick-ass rock record. And I, I'm glad I got to share it with you guys, and I'm glad you checked it out and dug it. And I hope more people uh, check it out. It's just, it's it's so good. And if you like classic rock, it'll it'll scratch that itch. It's But it's not, like, heavy enough that you're going to be turned away. It's not like, check out this Molly Hatchet record, you know? It's, uh... Yeah, it's it's very good. So I just want to thank you guys for having me on to talk about it today. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. I'm officially a Nona Hendrix fan now, thanks to you. Yeah. But uh, if you are listening to her um, and you do check out more of her stuff, this is the only record that sounds like this, just to be clear once again. So don't just dive into like the uh, the crazy mohawk phase of that and be like oh cool i'm gonna i'm gonna rock out like no man you're gonna get lasweld so <laughs> i <laughs> mean the, cool the records after but, this are all really good but they're definitely much more in the like post-disco synth funk kind of vibe yes and uh that skin diver record i i recommend if you're like a uh you know like a daniel lanois fan i, th- I think that would uh 
Danny Landwise, sorry. Uh, he would, uh, you would really like that record a lot. Agreed. Or if you're a, a Tangerine Dream fan, or you just like experimental fusions of pop music, mm-hmm. you, can, you can check out Nona's entire catalog. There's lots of good stuff to discover, and all the, you know, Patti LaBelle stuff as well. There's decades of incredible art to be discovered here. You know, going back to La- LaBelle too, Sarah Dash has great dollar records too, and uh, which is a nice little dovetail into you know some other recommended dollar bin and uh like sub five dollar records in a similar vein yeah you got any any recommendations for the people yeah uh close enough by sarah dash is it has that 80s sound it's not quite i I feel like with this this nona hendrix record you get that you get that sort of 70s guitar and bass sound and as you get into the 80s obviously you get that 80s (laughs) drum and bass sound paradise is a great like rocker on that album close enough by sarah dash i think the closest album to this that i've heard is acid queen by tina turner oh interesting yeah that makes sense yeah she does on the the first half she does like some stones and who songs and she does whole lot of love and then the back half is a bunch of like ike penned solo stuff you can pick that up pretty cheap other than that i mean some kind of like sonic and spiritual sibling records i think that 171170 by elton john it re- it reminds me of that like obviously there's no guitar but like the execution of the balladry and the presentation of the rocking remind me of it um, and a fellow gay icon from you know a time gay we icon didn't of, have enough of them of course yeah absolutely busting out of l7 by rick james mm. it was more like more straight up funk but i mean james always had like that rock and sort of punk energy yeah to very music. hard-edged all the time yeah for sure and then like a left field one that for some reason just really reminds me of it is uh searching for the young soul rebels by dexy's midnight runners interesting is that I, is that their sophomore album I, it's either the sophomore one or the first one i can't remember and uh but yeah obviously the english accent is like a way different feel and it's got more horns but it's jef- definitely jumping on this sort of like punky new wave thing and i think the energy the energy of it is there too they feel like they're really just kind of like following their desires there i've actually meant to check out those early dexy's midnight runner albums because i've I've heard they're quite good they're excellent yeah uh sean didn't you have some more too yeah i got a little list the the first artist that i thought of for similar ones was grace jones i believe that they were they were hanging out back in the day Uh, they're definitely part of the same scene and grace has a lot of records that kind of uh, break ground in combining genres the one that i think is closest to this is her album warm leatherette from 1980 which is not usually a dollar bin record it's usually more like a 15 dollar record at this point but yeah i know (laughs) if you can find it and you can find it cheap that's an incredible record and definitely we'll get those Betty vibe. Davis records too if you're uh, bumping up to 15 here. <laughs> they are excellent. Sky's the limit, <laughs> brother. Uh, another record that I believe I've recommended at least one other time before is Marianne Faithful's Broken English from 1979. That's a, a really good comparison of an artist breaking out of what they had been doing and making some very interesting art rock and tackling some heavy subject matter at times. Another one that did a great job of combining some reggae influences with more of a punk new wave art rock kind of vibe is Eddie Grant's Killer on the Rampage from 1982. 
with the big hit Electric Avenue on it. Great record that I'm sure we'll be covering at some point. And then one that is actually probably easier to find internationally than it is in the States. So I know we got fans all over the world, but if you find a copy of Gibson Brothers Nonstop Dance from 1977, I think that's a really interesting comparison because it's it's very hard-edged disco and has some some similarities going on here. And you can still find it cheap in the States. It's just never actually been pressed in the States. Last one I thought of is Shaka Khan's debut self or debut solo album, I'm Every Woman from 1978. An artist that I thought of just having some similarities is Nena Cherry, because she people associate her with the dance and hip hop music that she's created, but she also did work with punk and post-punk bands like Rip Rig and Panic. That that are any of you familiar with that group? Mm-mm. No. It mm-hmm. was uh, I think it was a couple members from the pop group. It was their follow-up oh, okay. band. the The pop group were like a kind of like a f- hybrid of funk and beef heart. I would actually say, <laughs> like mixing up you know, avant, the avant-garde with, with funk and, and, and punk. And she also worked with the slits as well early on. Okay. And she's, she's actually the stepdaughter of Don Cherry and her half brother is Eagle Eye Save Tonight Cherry. Oh. (laughs) Uh, But I, she first came onto my radar when she put out the album Blank project in 2014 and i think that was her first album in in a number of years at least as a as a solo artist and so that's obviously more recent and probably not one that you would find for a dollar or for cheap but uh she's worth investigating just another artist with a very diverse and and interesting background you want to know a very strange synchronicity with that for some reason this morning when i woke up i was like I wonder how you play the song Save Tonight by Eagle Eye Cherry. And I played that song earlier today. No way. <laughs> Out of the blue. First time in my life. I was going to say, no one's thought of that song in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. What? So what is it? Like G, A minor? I think it's A minor, F, C, G. Yeah. yeah. How do you know? It's just it's, <laughs> because it's a fucking song on the radio in 1997. Like, I don't <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's yep. It, it, that's the whole song, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love those ones that are just one progression over and over. Yeah. You're going to learn Rockabye by Sean Mullins next. Maybe <laughs> we'll see how I Go feel tomorrow. Maybe I will. The world's your oyster, bud. Yeah. <laughs> Call me when you start doing some Brian Adams covers. Nah, no, I'm, no, I'm in. <laughs> All right, that's fine. That's probably that's for the best. I was testing you. <laughs> <laughs> I have one honorable mention record that is also not a dollar bin record, but the Linda and Sonny Chirac album Paradise from 1975 is a really cool combination of rock and free jazz and funk. It's not cheap, but it's still the cheapest Sonny Chirac record you're going to find. Mm. <laughs> If we're doing honorable mentions, I would say uh, if you can find any Bell Rays records, go after those. Honorable mention for Headless Heroes of the Apocalypse by Eugene McDaniels. Mm. That's an incredible record. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. That's a very expensive <laughs> record to my knowledge. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going outside yeah, the, uh, yeah. the realms of buying That's, it for a dollar. But, yeah. you know, yeah. you can find a reissue for like 15 maybe if you're lucky. Yeah. 
<laughs> or you could just stream them. You know, you can. Did you guys know that you can sometimes listen to records without paying for them in our modern <laughs> times? <laughs> oh, you pay for them. That's true. <laughs> you pay for it with your soul. Yeah. Lars Ulrich, <laughs> Lars Ulrich makes you watch uh, some kind of monster in hell on repeat over and over until the end of time. Gladly. <laughs> uh, Bring it hell on. or heaven, sir. <laughs> I was I was just saying before we started recording that I've seen I've seen some kind of monster in its entirety at least twice, but it's two times more than I've listened to Saint Anger. You. <laughs> I thought I, I know we thought we got all the Metallica talk out before we started recording, but here we are. Ew. Here we are. Did anyone else's local radio station do mandatory Metallica every day at like I six think, o'clock? I yes. think so. I think yeah. you're right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's you know you, you got to do that. You got to get the lead out. It's those are all necessary radio activities. <laughs> well, Ryan, what are some of your activities? Ugh. I'm glad you asked. Uh, I recently put out a record on Halloween that I hung up posters that are very successful. The record, not quite as successful, but I still think it's pretty good. It's called uh, Beverly, Beverly, Beverly. It was described as a uh, like a cock rock guided by voices. It's uh, 13 songs in about 20, 21 minutes. Uh, sometimes there's a chorus. Sometimes not. Sometimes I'm just doing the, uh, you know, I think it sounds like a kind of Weezer for Thin Lizzy metalheads. So, yeah, these are like minute and a half songs with a bunch of guitar harmonies and uh, a minute out. Just what the world needs. <laughs> Just what the world needs, I would think. But yeah, it's on my Bandcamp, ryanwerner.bandcamp.com. You go to Ryan Werner Writes Stuff. You can probably find some links for some books I wrote. I think the last book I put out was a book of... Uh, one sentence album reviews uh, where I kept track of everything I listened to every week. And at the end of the week, I wrote a one sentence review of it. So there's probably about 600, 700 record reviews in that book there, such as uh, I pulled up a couple here. So for Steely Dan's Asia, the review was there's nothing in your apartment except an empty VHS sleeve for the film Badlands, a broken saxophone and $50,000 worth of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, wow, what uh, a dig at Terrence Malick there. I know, I'm sorry. Well, I, there's also the reveal for, for uh, Katie Lied by Steely Dan here. Uh, your doctor buddy can't write you fake prescriptions anymore because he got arrested for getting high on coke and beating the fuck out of an ATM with a tennis racket. <laughs> so there's a lot to look Those forward to. Those are some bad sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> and a pina colada, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you can check out all that on the internet or just not Google me at all, which is probably what you're going to do. And uh, you can just listen to Nona Hendrix because it's... A good use of your time and uh thank you for having me on boys absolutely let's let's not wait a year and three months till your, till your next appearance let's not <laughs> yeah deal we'll have you back sooner i'll be around unless i get eaten by bears oh it's a big bear problem in st louis lately i hear i mean it's just always an option you never know yeah <laughs> that begs the question of how many times you've watched grizzly man I have never seen it. It sounds really terrifying. I, I don't know if you heard. I just randomly brought up being eaten by bears. So I don't really want to watch a movie about a guy that gets eaten by bears. Understandable. I, I see it's a thing that's on your mind often. That and UHF. <laughs> Wait, you haven't seen UHF? No, I'm just always thinking about oh, it. Oh, you're just always thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, he watches yeah. it every Wednesday, remember? For the Metallica yeah. videos. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, what better way to end the podcast than talking about a Weird Al movie? No, let's end it with I, a song. What's the I last say, song? I, I, can, I can think of one better way to end the podcast. 
We'll end it with a song. This is Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. No. <laughs> <laughs> and here we go. Turn the page. Um, no, this is Side B, track four, Will You Be There? One of my favorite songs on the album, but also pretty much every song on this album is good. Just go buy it right now. You know, it's 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 got some appeal. <laughs> okay. But uh, this has been another episode of I'd Buy That for a Dollar. I'm Sean Hartman. I'm Peter Cook. I'm Jeremy Ruggles. I am Ryan Werner. I feel the way that you let me